we're good. <laughs> so to get started, our first unofficial question is, do you have your coffee? Oh, of course. Can't live without it. And what are you drinking today? A brown sugar shaken espresso from Starbucks with regular milk in it because they're out of oat milk. Oh, that's sad. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to Gallery Guide to Sordoni Artcast. I'm Carly Stasco, Outreach Coordinator here at the Sordoni Art Gallery at Wilkes University. And today we are talking with our summer intern, Sophia Kripsha. All right, so we're going to get started with some biographical questions. So the first thing that everyone's going to want to know is how are you involved with the Sordoni Art Gallery? What are you currently working on here with us with Wilkes University? So it's really funny how I started to get involved with SAG. Um, I started with Heather. We met at a, a show at Penn State called That's What She Said a little while back in, I think, 2018, 2019, like maybe February. Uh, it was a really neat show. It was all women, um, but Heather was the only performance artist that I'm aware of. And my professor was like, hey, this person is here and she's from your area you should get in touch so i'm like okay and send her an email and the rest is history but uh what i've been doing right now with the sardoni is i'm the archive intern so i've been going through old files uh scanning in documents writing brief descriptions for the documents and putting work into a database which it's, it's kind of interesting. It's all done in Excel and Google Sheets, and it's not terribly complicated, but it's really fun work for me. Like, I get to see all the, the old exhibition catalogs. What was the coolest one that you uncovered that you didn't know about? There, it's not actually a show, but it was a lecture called, uh, Will the Real Franz Klein Please Stand Up? <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, now I'm curious. Did people, were there like, was there like a Shakespeare thing going on where people thought there were multiple people being Franz Klein or, hmm? I don't know. I, I think it was a, it was sometime in the late 80s, early 90s. So <laughs> it was something interesting. I saw the little show card for it and just, I thought it was so funny. <laughs> nice. Um, so one of the main reasons that we're really excited to chat with you, and it's really, really cool that we managed to like time this the way it is, is that you and our current artist on display, Ray Klimek, um, you guys have a lot in common, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So my inspiration comes primarily from local history, and I'd like to read a little bit off of my artist statement here. Through my considerable research, it is evident in my paintings that my curiosity lies in the artificiality of the industrial landscape and the loss of cultural identity. What happens when the industry leaves the landscape after it exhausted all of its resources? Equipment is left behind to rot, businesses take over previously occupied corporate properties, and oddities begin to emerge, such as crumbling buildings and even rust orange waste streams that flow into the local river. In the true style of landscape painting, I attempt to depict the sheer beauty of a location. However, the locations I'm depicting are areas masked by the ugliness of an industrial complex come and gone. 
the landscape as a self-portrait and how the landscape can affect the self psychologically also interests me as a topic of discussion in my paintings. This is where loss of cultural heritage and its repercussions begin to take shape in my work. The people were exploited by the immigration system, forced to repress their heritage, and their bodies were also used for labor by the industries in the Rust Belt region. This portion of my work has mainly been exhibited through digital media, such as photoshopping old photographs, but I would love to continue to expand upon it with painting. I love it. So yeah, like, obvious. So where are you? Um, what's your home base, if you don't mind me asking? Right now, I'm located right across the river in Kingston. Um, okay. So I have access to all the other little local towns and I go around and photograph uh, with a nicer camera than an iPhone, <laughs> uh, just for some reference photos for landscape paintings, like any oddities that you might see, such as um, abandoned gas stations. Uh, there's a sign in Plymouth that it has like the price of gas on it and someone crossed it out and put over it first born. I know the one you're talking about. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so wild. Yeah, because Ray is originally from um, the Exeter area. So just, you know, a little bit further down the river, but it's, you know, very much the exact same culture. And I love hearing you guys talk about because something that I think a lot of people don't know about the area is that, yes, it's predominantly white, but that is a result of this, you know, European immigrant cultural mixing bag of, you know, and let's face it, when we look at, you know, time periods where um, we have Italian immigrants and Irish American, you know, Irish immigrants coming in, and they're not treated as white. Um, you know, they are, you know, they are going through um, a similar issue. Again, it's, you know, obviously very different than what's going on contemporarily, but acknowledging the fact that there was a lot of that blending going on um, and a lot of that heritage was forcibly blended together, like you said, that, you know, that assimilate or perish is just really fascinating. And I think it's so easily forgotten in this area. So I love that you're capturing that. Um, now, you said you took pictures, um, but obviously you're not a photographer in the way that Ray is. Your focus is a little bit more um, on painting um, and that aspect of the visual arts. Would you mind um, telling our listeners a little bit about your practice and how we might recognize your work if we saw them out in the wild? So my paintings are created using a variety of methods that are both traditional and unconventional. Um, techniques such as layering, color blending, and keeping the canvas wet with a spray bottle to make intricate patterns keeps the painting mercurial while also anticipating a specified layout for the final view of the landscape. Uh, intricacies created by consistently layering and brushing away wet spots allow me to randomize designs such as those seen in nature. Similarly, layering and color blending enable me not only to have more control over the outcome of the painting, but also to transform the painting by manipulating with saturation and shading. I especially like to use complementary colors as tints to modify the final piece in a way that creates a mood or atmosphere emboldened by the saturation of the landscape. 
Now, one thing I'm curious about, and this wasn't a question I prepped you with, so feel free to be like, Jesus, Carly, <laughs> stop. Um, is So when you say about like layering and blending, the one thing, um, I am an amateur in the traditional sense of the word. I am someone who does it for the amare, for the love of it. Um, so I'm not a professional. I'm not a student. I'm not making money off of any of this. I just like to paint sometimes. And one thing that, um, you know, I've heard recommended, especially for people like me who are just getting started, is to shy away from blending and aim for transition colors and that sort of thing to keep things crisp. And when you're talking about this, like layering and blending, it feels like it's um, doing something a little bit more organic on the canvas. Is that accurate? Oh, I'd say so. I'd say my approach to painting, even though I'm an acrylic painter, it's very much based in oil paint. Mm. Um, I detest oil paint, <laughs> but um. For my methods, I use, like you would use a turpenoid or a turpentine for oil painting with blending, I go for just using water instead of like a flow aid or anything that you can buy at Golden Products or Apex. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I approach the painting as it is. Um, I approach the colors as they are. And it's a give and take relationship. You really have to work with the canvas and let the canvas work with you when you're painting. So it's, it's fun. It's a fun way to paint. Yeah. Cool. Cool. So um, one of the pieces that you had worked on um, or a series you had worked on that I specifically wanted to ask about was negative space. First of all, I love art that feels haunted and not like scary spooky haunted but as in like there's so much indescribable emotion just trapped in this work that kind of haunted and these pieces feel haunted like that there is so much behind it so what was the inspiration what was the process and something that like I kept thinking of every time is that um it reminds me of the family sitting series by um Trong that we had had here uh, for loud silence. And I was wondering if you were familiar with that at all. So take it one step at a time, negative space, love it. What was the inspiration in the process? <laughs> so negative space is more of my underdog series. I began it as a pastime out of boredom just to see what I can do with Photoshop. And before around this time, um, I hadn't really started my main thesis work of working with the landscape and to create these ghostly images. So this was kind of an inspiration point for me as far as um, my current body of work. Um, I have not seen the family sitting series, but I will definitely look it up after this interview because... Oh, wait, hold on one sec, because... But I have a copy of <laughs> of uh, Loud Silence specifically because I was like, who made that piece? What's it called? Where is it from? Who is that? <laughs> I'm familiar with Trong's work, but um... oh, look at that. Yeah, that's lovely. Yeah, so she did a couple of those in the similar sense of like taking the person out of it while leaving the person in it if that makes sense in the same way that you did yeah and um and I'm just very fond of this like Appalachian Ozark spiritual sibling going on with it 
Absolutely love it. Um, so when we're talking about your process and we're talking about your, um, you know, a day in the life of the artist, what does a day in the life of the artist look like for you? Do you make like to-do lists? Do you um, have a certain podcast you listen to or music or anything like that? Oh, I have many a playlist. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Most of what I listen to is when I work, uh, I mostly listen to podcasts because they're very, they're able to keep me focused on my work while also learning something new or listening to something spooky, which I often do. Um, My favorites are Sound and Vision by Brian Alfred, which is another art podcast. Um, The Lore Podcast by Aaron Mankey. And Scared to Death, which, oh my goodness, if you love uh, well-read horror stories with little chit-chat in between, I know what I'm adding to my to-do list. I have a very like short list of podcasts and Laura has been on it for a while because Aaron Mankey's voice is like, oh, it's perfect. Incredibly soothing. His voice is a lullaby. There's lots of lullaby speakers and he is one of them. Uh, But Scared to Death sounds exactly up my alley and I'm very excited to add that to my repertoire. So thank you. Oh, scared to death. It's, it's fantastic. They usually do two stories that are, um, that they find on the internet or they find through other sources and then they do two or three stories from listeners. So it's, they've done even one of mine, one of my stories too. So what podcast, like which podcast episode it is, but, um, I'll let you know when I figure it out. Yes, absolutely. Stick around for more Gallery Guide. The Sedoni Art Gallery is a free admission gallery. That's right, free. Which means that when you hear us talking about our awesome exhibitions, programs, lectures, and events, you can attend them at no charge. Since admission is always free, here's some good reasons to visit. Going on a romantic date to the movies, but you got here way too early. Going out to brunch downtown with your BFFs. Kids begging you to get out of the house, but it's a dreary day. Any reason is reason enough to stop in and surround yourself with art. Our hours are Tuesday through Friday, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., and Saturdays from noon to 5. We're back with more Gallery Guide, Sardoni Artcast. Um, so otherwise, in your process, um, you've been in quite a few exhibitions yourself. Where might we have seen your work, and do you have anything coming up in the future? So right now, a lot of my work and the exhibited work, because of the pandemic, right. uh, it's mainly online through Penn State's uh, Zoller Gallery. Uh, that I, I'm in at least two or three shows that they've exhibited in the past, I don't know, a couple months since January. But I have exhibited in New York once, um, Mm. which that painting sold, and I'm very proud of that (laughs) as like a young artist. Um, 
but I've exhibited all the way from Ireland. I've been in the Palmer Museum of Art on Penn State's main campus, and I've also been in Portland, Oregon. So I, I've been around. Your art has traveled further than I have. So, you know, there's that. Oh, same here. <laughs> <laughs> One day. One yeah. day we will both make it as far as your artwork has been. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> so um, if I understand correctly, you're also a little bit like our director, Heatherson Cavage, in that you're not only an artist, but you have some curatorial experience under your belt. Can you tell us about that? So my big show that I curated back in 2019 was called uh, Timely Warnings. It was named after the system that Penn State uses to notify uh, individuals in the community about sexual assault on campus. So that show was inspired by my own experiences with harassment and sexual assault, along with experiences of those around me. Uh, how it came to fruition is kind of funny. Uh, I was in this sculpture class and it was an all-female class of eight people and we got to choose a topic and make work off of it and nearly every person in that class made something about sexual assault and I'm like wow like this work all together installed like this looks like a really nice show so yeah. that's that's how it came about but um it really gave me my first taste as a curator for a fairly large show um it really it's difficult to be a curator, <laughs> especially <laughs> when you're, uh, you're all three ringleaders in the circus. Like you mm. have to organize the work, you have to communicate with the artist. There's a lot of paperwork that comes with it. You have to create agreements to make sure the art isn't harmed while it's in your care. Um, but it, it was fantastic. Like I, <laughs> I have some great memories of that show. And I know in the past, I've said that it, um, it isn't over yet. Like it's not, it's a project that's going to continue happening. And I still stand by that, but I just haven't really had the time or the venue to continue showing this work. So in, in the future, it'll keep going, but otherwise right now it's, it's a, put on pause, but um, the impact from the show was fantastic. I got a letter from the governor who was like, we saw your work and we saw your show and we stand behind it. Uh, if you ever need anything, please feel free to send me a letter. And it was like a handwritten letter. Yeah. Like it wasn't printed. I was in shock when I got it because I had not expected it at all. Right. But um, I also was featured in the local newspaper, the Times Tribune at the time. And I don't know if I still have a copy of that, but I absolutely should because- I was... hope you do. I hope it's framed. Oh my goodness. It was- uh, I was Or on the, on the refrigerator underneath a magnet. Come on. <laughs> I was on the cover <laughs> of the Life and Times section of the Times Tribune for that. Oh, so oh that my God. I have to look that up. I, I have on my website, I think I still have the link to the article. Oh, oh, that's even better than, okay. So that's like the digital version of sticking it on your fridge under a magnet. That works. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so now is the time where we get to move on to some of our fun art snob questions. Ooh. Are you ready? 
Of course. So some of these might get us in trouble, but you know, it's okay. So to start with the easy one, um, do you have a favorite artist, favorite piece, somebody who currently inspires you, you know, anything along those lines? So my favorite artist right now from art history, I'd have to say I'm a big contemporary art fan. So everything from Impressionism on just okay. blows me out of the water. Yeah. But uh, my favorite artist right now would have to be Alice Neal because she kicked butt and she took names and <laughs> she was a revolutionary for portraiture and women in art. And she just did not care. Like she she was fantastic and she currently has that show at the Met right now um people come first which I am dying to see but I have not gotten to yet right did but, Ray um, said that Ray Klimek mentioned that he had seen it yet or that he's also excited for it I think he'd seen it already <sighs> I'm jealous <laughs> <laughs> um my favorite contemporary artists as far as the last 20 30 years or so would have to be Rebecca Morgan and Devin Shimiyama who are just a little bit older than I am mm -hmm. um, Rebecca Morgan primarily her work deals with the idea of the lower class Pennsylvanians generally um, the whole idea of being a hillbilly because that's the culture she comes from she's not appropriating it in any way she's not making fun of it Right. But respectfully uh, showcasing it and being delicate with the topic. But okay. it's also her work is very recognizable. She has a very particular way of making portraits. And I've had the privilege of meeting her and having a studio visit with her. And she is just lovely. I um, highly great. recommend her and her work. But um, Devin Shimiyama also graduated from Penn State with a BFA in drawing and painting. Mm -hmm. um he right now he works mainly in queer art um he's a queer black man himself so that's the area like a lot of his work is very personal to him and his work is beautiful a lot of vibrant bright colors with glitter and it's it's phenomenal really like what he does he uses glitter in a way that makes it not look gaudy and that's just fantastic Ooh. to me <laughs> Oh yeah. And my favorite piece is a tough one because there are so many, but I think my favorite right now would have to be Untitled Portrait of Ross in LA by Felix Gonzalez Torres. Oh, that it, piece breaks my heart. Go on. Oh yeah. If you haven't seen the piece, it is a pile of candy, uh, usually a uniform candy like uh, one specific kind um, piled up in a corner and you can take it and it's replenished throughout the time that it's exhibited. But the whole idea about it is um, he lost his partner to AIDS. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of his work at the time was dedicated to his partner, Ross. And it's just beautiful. It's so sad. Mm -hmm. but it's a really fantastic piece like just working with relational aesthetics and um people it just hits all my markers for a wonderful piece really nice so um related imagine we are giving you unlimited funds to buy any one piece of artwork in existence but only one what are you buying 
definitely the same piece I just said. <laughs> I'd buy unlimited amounts of candy and I'd have um, a little place for it in my home. And or uh, another one that you you can make and you can own a piece of Felix Gonzalez Torres's work, which is the clock piece, um, where it's two clocks right next to each other for those who don't know. Um, and the one is there is set to time to be at the same time, but one of them runs out eventually and the other one keeps going. And it's another uh, tribute to his um, partner that passed away. And it's just so sad. Yeah. But it's so powerful, really. Well, I just want to back up briefly because um, I did the math before we talked. And you can get 175 pounds of candy for a little under $700. <laughs> I mean, like, I feel like if you went for a one-two punch of um, Felix Gonzalez Torres and um, Shimoyama, you could have a delightful combo of candy and glitter and just, like, general gay sadness. For sure. Which, Absolutely. as a bisexual woman, just, like, hits me in a way <laughs> that I'm like, oh, <laughs> love. All right, so this is the part where we get in trouble. This is a question that gets us in trouble. Which artist is overrated slash who are we retroactively canceling? And who should we check out instead? I have been waiting for this question because I absolutely hate Takashi Murakami. I am so (laughs) sorry for everyone who likes his work and what he's done with artists like Kanye West and all the designer brands and I just think he is just the pinnacle of over commercialization and selling out and crossing the border between making work to sell like just to sell it versus making art to make work like it just it's so gross to me the way he fetishizes um like commercialization and it just makes it like the number one reason for his practice. It just grosses me out. I can't stand it. But Mr. and Yoshitomi Nara are wonderful other options. If you're interested in anime art, um, like high higher art um, than graphic novels or uh, manga, um, Mr. takes a good shot at those. And Yoshitomi Nara is just fantastic with the portraiture and the figurines and he has a very straightforward playful manner of painting and it it's very iconic you've probably seen his work but probably don't know who it is (laughs) right yeah I was gonna say the name's not the name didn't ring a bell but um when you had like sent me your answers I did a quick peek and I'm like okay this is definitely familiar Oh, yeah. Yeah. He was especially big in the early 2000s. And I know for a fact that one of my first exposures to contemporary art was Yoshitomi Nara's work. Mm. So, I mean, I I love it. My yeah. mom is the one who introduced me who loved it. So I think that those two artists, um, Mr. and uh, Yoshitomi Nara, are just great substitutions for Takashi Murakami. Stick around for more Gallery Guide.
If you haven't seen Carbon yet, what are you waiting for? Come see Ray Klimek's dazzling photography before July 16th. And on July 16th, be sure to join us for a closing reception, our first live reception in over a year. We will be celebrating from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. with refreshments on the campus gateway as we toast to the final evening of this remarkable exhibition. No reservations are required, but masks are required inside of campus buildings. And we're back with the rest of Gallery Guide. So I saw on Instagram that you had used a gift of uh, Marizzo Catalan's Comedian. And for those of you not in the know, this is the banana duct taped to the wall. Can we talk about this piece? Because I am willing to defend that banana to the death. You don't even understand. Like, I love that banana. It, it partially inspired this podcast. Like, Heather and I were talking about the banana and someone overheard me getting so passionate about my <laughs> my defense of this piece that they're like, no, you guys should definitely do that podcast. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. <laughs> oh man, the banana. Um, I think it's a contemporary fountain, Marcel Duchamp's fountain, mm. where it's like, what is art and what constitutes high art and just being utterly ridiculous but in a way that calls out high art and the institutions of high art um, without being too crass about it. But um, I just, I love the banana too. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, you know, like you said that um, I dare you to tell me this isn't art that appeals to me, but also learning that he took a real banana, right? And, and affixed it permanently with duct tape to a wall and then hailed it as the comedian. And like, it's literally like a thousand word essay on like the slipping on the banana peel joke with, and like the reversal of like, oh, this banana cannot move. It can't hurt anyone anymore, but it's also being presented. Like this is like the banana's mugshot or something. I don't know. Like there's so, there's so much depth to the piece that when people are like, who bought a banana with duct tape for $10,000? And I'm like, I would, if I had that money, I would buy that banana. (laughs) And we were talking um, the other day about, uh, and I can't remember the artist and you know what? We'll leave a little space in here where when I look this up after the interview, we add in the name. The artist but the statue that eats yes that yes. it was that it's the two pieces the only way that this statue stays in shape in the shape it's supposed to be is because there's a head of cabbage providing that tension and then once the it like provides enough pressure and like masticates and rots the cabbage enough the statue falls apart and this and like they have to keep feeding the statue cabbages and heads of lettuce And I don't know, there's something so magical about this concept that I cannot elaborate on. Do you have any better idea of how to explain why this is so appealing? I honestly don't. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I think making fun of and creating art that makes fun of um, the institutions that we've been kind of conditioned to 
revere and to understand as being high academic art. I think that it just, it's a great rebellion. Like it's a great, screw you to all the, uh, all the people who take art way too seriously. It's a great place for us to go back and to say, okay, uh, what is art? What do we consider art to be? And can a banana on a wall or a statue that perpetually eats be considered high art? Yeah. And it's just fantastic what we come up with that we continue to go through this cycle of, well, we think we know what art is, but maybe we don't. And let's find out what it is again. And then the cycle continues. So I love it. I love it. So looking ahead a little bit, um, what do you have next going on in your adventures once you leave here, um, leave the Sordoni Art Gallery? So immediately after I leave here, I have some fun little events to go to, like the Macaroni and Cheese Festival on Montage Mountain. Um, Wait, when, (laughs) when is there a Macaroni and Cheese Festival? On June 26th, you can still get your tickets. It's, this is a shameless plug for this event. I am so excited for it. I got two tickets. It's like $25 a ticket. It's just going to be so cool. I'm so excited. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I'm sorry for that interruption. I just had no idea. Please continue. Oh, no, it's okay. Um, Outside of the Macaroni and Cheese Festival, uh, I have a residency coming up in upstate New York with Arts Letters and Numbers that I'm super excited about. I was recently a resident for Arts Letters and Numbers, and it I had a wonderful time. I feel my thesis work definitely grew out of that experience that I had with those people and those other artists and musicians and poets. It was just a wonderful time filled with wonderful people. So I am more than excited to return and to do some research, more local history research I'm excited about. I have a whole bunch of books. I'm so ready for it. Um, Besides that, uh, in the future, I anticipate going to grad school. Um, Mm -hmm. I've applied to several places and I've heard back. And I haven't necessarily picked one yet or picked a program yet. So I think I might be taking a year off just to see what's out there, figure myself out a little bit before I, you know, head more into debt. (laughs) (laughs) Always a smart choice. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And hopefully in the distant future, I hope to become a curator or continue to work in museum studies, um, especially in archives. I really love conservation of documents. And I know that sounds boring, but you get to see a lot of cool things. (laughs) So, and you spend a lot of time in a library. So it's, it's a fun time, but yeah, that's, that's my near future and my distant future. Ooh, do you go home every day smelling like nice old pulpy books? I bet I do. honestly, (laughs) Because I spend a couple hours in there every day. Right. Um, So our listeners, um, the listeners of Gallery Guide are really a mix of professionals, students, connoisseurs, and amateurs like me who do it, who are into it purely because we love it and think it's really neat. Um, So if one of these folks were to take a look at your portfolio after listening to this, to our conversation, and they felt really inspired to take art into their own hands, what would you tell them to try? 
I would tell them, go with the basics, start sketching, start drawing, just start getting into it. Um, Sketching and drawing can be really affordable. Like just all you need is maybe a pencil, pen, and a sketchbook or printer paper, or even your notebook. Like you can sketch anywhere, anytime. It's a wonderful tool for getting your ideas out and you don't need to spend hundreds of dollars on supplies, which is absolutely lovely. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And you have the world at your fingertips and you can really use drawing in so many ways. It's just a fantastic medium for communicating ideas. And I mean, one of my favorite little analogies is that um, someone once told me, if you speak a different language than somebody else and you tell them flower in your language, they might not understand. But if you draw a flower, they'll be able to understand you. And that's mm. just a wonderful way of showing how much drawing can connect others. It's a wonderful tool. Yeah. Oh, I love that. So likewise, do you have any words of advice for our listeners as they approach making art or visiting exhibition spaces? have an open mind. I I know it's really stereotypical to say that, uh, you know, as an artist myself, um, but having an open mind is essential to understanding without judgment. It can really prevent things like art block and just making premature judgments on work that you might not entirely know the meaning of, or you know what, maybe that's what the artist wants. Like maybe my other favorite artist, which I am saying that sarcastically, uh, Jeff Koons, uh, or, um, oh, what's his face? He just had a birthday. Damien Hurst. Damien Hurst. Okay. Uh, Jeff Koons and Damien Hurst, where you can really judge their work based on face value. Having an open mind to things um, is really important. Uh, especially when it comes to art, because you really, people open up in ways that they don't normally when they create art and being able to experience other people's emotions and experience their experiences and being able to walk a mile in their shoes is really important, especially in times like we're dealing with today. Thank you so much for speaking with us. And thank you so much for for sharing your artistic philosophy um, with our listeners. Because like I said, with having such a a great combination of listeners and um, people from all walks of life approaching this, it's always beautiful to get the perspective of, you know, established artists, establishing themselves artists, you know, all walks of life, all um, facets of this. And I will say the funniest part about this is that you and Ray are two goddamn peas in a pod. (laughs) (laughs) It's absolutely wild to think that, you know, so many of your, um, so much of your philosophy is, is related. So many of your, your likes and dislikes and the way you approach the area is so similar. And yet to look at your portfolios next to each other, you would never even guess that because there you guys are so distinct and so unique and so separate but the fact of the matter is that the thesis and the philosophy and the inspiration is so tightly woven that I'm just so happy you could share that with all of us 
Once again, I want to offer major thanks to everyone at the Sedoni Art Gallery, Heather Simcavage, our director, our awesome staff and interns like Sophia, and the Sedoni family. Huge thanks also for the work and support of Kristen Rock, as well as Ray Klimek for offering us an incredibly inspirational show that is just so fun to talk about. We hope to see you soon. Thank you.